Welcome to another episode of Sideways, A Life of Wine. As you'd expect on a podcast where we discuss wine, movies, book publishing, all sorts of things, there will be some swearing, there will be some cussing, which means we're obviously having discussions which contain adult themes. Hi everyone, hi Yui, welcome to The Life of Wine. My name is Rex Pickett and I'm the author of Sideways and two sequels, Vertical and Sideways 3 Chile. I have a brand new novel out titled The Archivist. We're going to be talking about wine and literature and cinema and culture, art, or anything that just uh, we digress into. We're going to just let it all hang out on this podcast and we're going to bare our souls, aren't we, Yui? We sure are, Rex. Hi, I'm Yusuf. I'm known as Yui. And I'm going to be the person who is going to interview Rex and extract as much information as we can out of his head about wine. I'm a fanboy and uh, I've been a fan of Sideways the movie and the books for years. So it's a pleasure for me to uh, work with Rex on this uh, podcast. Good morning, Rex. How are you? How are you doing, Yui? Well, you have to answer my question first. How are you? I'm doing very well. It's a, as you know, I'm, I'm feeling redundant. It's another sunny day in Del Mar, San Diego, California. Yeah, that's right. And um, you're uh, you're temporarily in a new place, and and this um, yeah. and the light. You said to me the light was so strong you weren't able to sleep. So, um, but but I, I I had a friend who. Uh, had a great idea and she bought some black poster board and cut it to size and put it over the windows and I'm sleeping like a baby. I'm, I'm ready for this podcast, you. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm sort of glad that you've done that because uh, when we spoke the other day, you said to me that you lost a week. You, it was like a week from hell and so I'm so glad well, that I mean, we there, had no there, communication there, during that there time. There are a lot of people who can work on five hours. I can't. I mean, yeah. as a writer, a writer is very... Um, you know, it's uh, it's it's cognitive non-manual work. It's very cerebral, and uh, yeah. five hours. I just sure I can do you know email and other things, but I, I can't I can't write. Okay, so so, so you're well, and you said you're you're yep. buzzing today, so that's really great that we've got you um, yep. today. Um, okay, well, believe it or not, we're up to episode number fourteen, and wow. uh, and this episode is titled Miles and Jack. Um, this was a suggestion that you made again, um, an excellent one. And uh, what we want to do on this episode is explore the relationship between Miles and Jack. We want to know, are they based on real people? We sort of half know the answer to that question. And then we want to understand how you've developed and how the relationship has developed as it's gone from the book to the movie to the musical, um, which admittedly people haven't seen the musical yet but it's it's a good preview discussion about what you think happens to their relationship okay. in the musical okay so um like we always do i like to start with a little bit of a of a small monologue uh, that's usually the last time i get a chance to say anything and then we hand over um <laughs> then we hand over um to you no no it's good good conversations uh, uh rex so uh, essentially what what i um when i saw the movie for the first time i was um struck at how um how different the two characters were and yet they had a very close 
bond. There's, um, uh, despite their different attitudes towards life, their different attitude towards wine, their different attitudes towards women, their different attitudes towards everything, they still had this love and bond beneath them. And I was super impressed with that. Um, and uh, yeah, I walked out um, thinking all sorts of things. And because I've watched it three or four times since, later in the episode uh, of this episode, I'll discuss with you some of my thoughts. But yeah, um, over to you. Um, please talk to us about Miles and Jack. Who are they based on? Where did they come from? And um, let's go. Well, you know, I don't want to get too pedagogical here, but uh, when I was 19 years old, I dropped out of school for a couple of quarters and I bought the entire collected works of Carl Jung, all 20 volumes, and I sat down and I read six hours a day, every day for six months. And this came up in a uh, virtual launch of a Friends of Mine uh, book the other day, asking me what my, um, my great inspirations were, and that was one of my biggest ones. Volume six is psychological types, and it's about introversion and extroversion. And one of the things, I'm gonna fast forward here really quickly, don't worry, it's not going to get into a lecture about Carl Jung. I'm, I'm all right with it. I'm all right okay. with it. Go for it. Well, yeah, Carl yeah, Jung, uh, you know, we're just he, listening. He, we're just listening with bated breath. Well, Carl Jung, it. of course, created the archetypes, and Joseph Campbell, you know, uh, with his hero of a thousand faces, he took everything that Jung had created, and then he, you know, wrote about myth and the hero, the hero's journey, which later became the inspiration for Star Wars. If you want to know the truth, in fact, uh, Joseph Campbell and George Lucas had such a close relationship. George Lucas brought him on to Skywalker Ranch, and he lived there for the remaining part of his life. But anyway, back to Jung and introversion, extroversion. What you have is you have conflict. And when I'm, when I'm writing, I'm looking for conflict because conflict, all writers out there take note, but they know this anyway. Conflict, you know, equals drama, equals comedy, equals resolution. And so... You know, in my first film that I did, California Without End, an independent feature film that I wrote and directed, I didn't have that conflict in there. And um, in my second feature film, I met a, a man named Jim Haney, who just died recently, a great actor, and I got a chance to see him in Sam Shepard's True West. And True West is about two brothers. One is a screenwriter, and the other is a, a, a just a guy out, he's been living out in the in the range somewhere, whatever, and they, and they, they lock horns, and it's a brilliant play, and it's been done many times with John Malkovich and Philip Seymour Hoffman, and Jim Haney did the original, and I got to know Jim really well. So in my second feature film, From Hollywood to Deadwood, and I'm getting to Miles and Jack, because Miles and Jack has its ancestral origins in my second feature film, From Hollywood to Deadwood. I had a guy, a, a detective named Raymond Savage, but his foil was Jack Haynes, the character Jack. And Jack Haynes, he, he didn't play by the rules. He, he was extroverted. He was out there. He was, you know, so, so, there, so that film was made. And, and although the film wasn't great, the screenplay got me my first work. So it, it's something lodged in my brain. Hmm, I need to find opposites, but I come off of real characters. On that second feature film, there was an electrician named Roy Gittins. And Roy Gittins is also that Jim Haney Jack Haynes' character, he's larger than life. He's, he's, he's extremely extroverted. I, I know I talk a lot, but really I'm an introverted, introvert. Jack, Roy Gittins, is an extrovert. He's larger than life. And I was, at that time, going up to the San Inez Valley where Sideways is set by myself, playing golf all alone in despair over my life, my career, and so many other things that we've talked about <clears throat> people can read about in many interviews. And one weekend, I took up Roy. 
and we had a great time. We went from tasting room to tasting room, and we, you know, and I cracked him up. I made him laugh, and he, he, he's the guy who. So they're they're really Miles and Jack are really opposite sides of the same male coin. One is an introvert, the other is an extrovert. Miles mm. <clears throat> needs Jack to take him to the world. Otherwise, you know, to Miles, you know, one, uh, you know approach to a woman he might be attracted to if he's rejected that's it for him he gives up for two months jack that's just one rejection he's on to the next nine you know so but jack needs miles for self-reflection he doesn't have any self-reflection because he's sort of like a <laughs> yeah. you know he's like a tornado he bursts into the room so they they really they're really opposite sides but they both need each other and and I don't think about it when I'm writing I'm thinking about character so also Roy is he's different than me in a lot of ways but we we do intersect at some at some points he's not like a big reader he's not a big um, I don't know uh, consumer of avant-garde movies like me or whatever but he does know the books he you know he he's a smart guy and in fact I think Roy and in the novel sideways Jack is a little bit deeper than Jack in the movie. Alexander made him a little bit more of a one-note sexual terminator, you know, I mm, like to say. Mm. Whereas Jack has more range and you see this in the play and we'll get to this point in a way, but so I had those opposites and I also have and this is key for writing, I can hear Roy's voice. You know, he'd say stuff like, "Hey critter man, you got to, you know, he's from the south." You know, he had these like uh, he had these like uh, slang words and these idiomatic phrases. Yeah. And I love those because it personalizes his voice. And then you have my voice. If you had just my voice, yeah. it would be that self-deprecating, self-defeating, you know, voice of failure or whatever. But with Roy, <laughs> he can play off on him. And Roy is, of course, a guy who's always trying to lift you up. He's always trying to see the positive in everything. Yeah. Miles sort of sees, you know, he's a yeah. Cassandra. The world is ending every day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do know? you still and see so, Roy? And so I, that, so I, had, I may I have missed seen, this earlier, but do you still see Roy? Well, I, I left L.A. in 2012, and he lives in L.A., and I think he may have gone back to, uh, with family to, oh, okay. uh, to North right. Carolina. I mean, we talk from time to time, but Roy was a great friend in the late 90s, and we used to meet up at Epicurus, the wine store that That's I know correct. we're going to talk about. And he actually introduced me to Julian Davies, so he, he, he greases the wheels as it is. But yeah. Jack... But when we get to the play, I know we want to go back to the movie, but when we get to the play, that, that, uh, that bigger character, the one who has more heart and soul, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong, I love the movie, I love Thomas Hayden Church, I just want to say that. But I think that in the play, Jack, the way he's written has more heart and soul. And as a result, women may see Jack in the movie as a guy cheating on his fiance and not much more than that, and a bumbling fool. But in the play, he, he really doesn't really even care about the affair so much is, is he really cares more about Miles succeeding and not falling into the mire yeah. of, of total despair. And you, you feel that in the theater that, you know, women think, and I've had women tell me this, you know, we really like my, uh, Jack's loyalty to Miles. And 
but we can change the other part, which of course is where they're wrong. But yeah. they think, you know what I mean? And so yeah, yeah, really, yeah. so so Roy Roy was really that trip that we took up there. I came back and wrote a screenplay. It didn't work, and then we talked about, of course, sideways. And then I ultimately wrote it as a novel in first person. Yeah, but I could. When I'm writing, I've got that foil of Roy. I know that he is a. He's a train wreck waiting to happen. Yeah. I know that he'll barge into that restaurant and he sees Maya and whereas Miles cowering and holding his hands over his head, no, leave, you know, leave me alone, whatever. Jack's the guy's gonna go, no, we're gonna go over and talk to her. And there right. and, and there, now you have conflict. So with okay, so so that's great. I, I, I um from a business perspective, I've looked at introversion and extroversion a bit more to help people understand behavior in meetings or behaviors in, on a project and interacting with people in the workplace. And over the years, I've understood that this whole you are an introvert, you are an extrovert doesn't really work. What does work, though, is the idea that you are introvert, introvert dominant or, or dominant extrovert. But with everybody, in other words, everybody has introversion and extroversion in them. That's and right. it comes out different times. So did you, um, with the book... Um, it's, you're right. It's not as exaggerated in the movie, but did you did you basically split your typical male into two, and one became, and one became Miles, and one became Jack? Well, first of all, I mean, again, I don't get scholarly here because with Jung, yes, there's introversion, extroversion, but we all have a little bit of each. I mean, That's I can right. go to a party and be somewhat of an extrovert, you know, and Roy, if he's, you know, had too much to drink and wakes up in the morning, he's probably a total introvert, you know, yep. at that point. But then there's also, there's thinking and feeling. So there's the different functions of introversion and extroversion. So thinking is the dominant function. Feeling would be the subdominant function. So in Roy's case, my case, I'm clearly a thinking type. So I'm an introverted thinking type with feeling being repressed. Roy is an extroverted feeling type. He's the guy who'll come up and hug you. I'll never do that, you know, unless, you know, you give me a check for a million or something, you know, but <laughs> Roy is an extroverted feeling type and thinking is subdominant. He represses thinking. He doesn't want to think about things too much. So I don't really think about when I'm writing, but I know that those are the differences. And then we have the two other functions, which is sensation and, um, and intuition. And Maya, when we get to the women, she's an interesting type. She's an introverted intuition type. So that's where you, and everything is, is we're generalizing here. Nobody's any one thing. You know, everyone wants to fit things into categories. But in general, Rex Miles, because it's written in first person from the point yeah. of view of Miles yeah. Raymond, I'm an introverted thinking type, and Roy is an extroverted feeling type. You have the wonderful clash of opposites. And it's not like, I don't like extroverted feeling types. Sometimes they can be very fulsome and, and specious and, and phony and whatever. But Roy isn't that guy. He's a genuine guy. But I, lo I love his joie de vivre. I love his, his bonhomie. I, I, I love that. You know, I need that character because if it's just me, it's probably going to be a downer novel. On the yeah. other hand, if it was just Roy, it's just going to be a romp of a bunch of you know, frat boys. You know what I mean? So yep. he, he needs yep. he needs my introverted thinking depth in a way. And I actually, at one point, Yui, I actually made a list. You know, uh, Roy is the guy that kind of, who'll go to a party, for example, and he'll make sure he talks to everybody at the party. Miles is the guy who goes to the party, and he might meet somebody he finds fascinating, and then the party's over three hours later. He's never left that conversation. You know, one person is, you know, I... I, I I actually just listed their differences and how they were different, but but truly is 
we're, we're all seeking that thing that w which we're repressing, which in my case, I'm going to get into a psych auto, auto analysis here, but you know, is feeling. I repress feeling and I find it through my work. Roy doesn't repress feeling. He is very open and out yeah. there. And I think that's yeah. what women, women uh, patrons and even of, of the play and of the movie and, and fans, I should say, not patrons. You know, I think that's what they like in Jack. Sure, they don't like his transgressive and his somewhat, you know, depraved, you know, and loose behaviors. But on the other hand, you know, with Miles, he, he can be... Uh, but it's always you know, mutual. It's always mutual. Let's be yeah. clear about well, that. And, and, yeah. and, and Miles can be, he can be deep and thoughtful and everything else, but he can also be solips, too solipsistic for women. Yeah. So yeah. He, needs, yeah. he needs more of the... You know, uh, where Roy will ask you about your life, Miles will talk about his life, like I'm doing right now, for three hours uninterruptedly. <laughs> <laughs> it won't be three hours, everybody listening here. It won't be three okay. hours. Yeah, well, hey, um, the reason I asked Rex is because um, I had a relationship with a, a male friend of mine that was very similar to that of Miles and Jack when I was growing up in the 90s, well before I read, sorry, well before I saw the movie or read the book. And I just, it just got me thinking that actually, you're absolutely right. As you were explaining the repressed and the uh, exaggerated of thinking and feeling, that, that was a case between Mark and I. But the reason I ask is because when I ask people who do they identify with, when I ask my male friends who are right into the movie, uh, they struggle. They really struggle. They go, oh, well... I, I understand Miles, and there's bits of Miles, and, and then there's bits of Jack. And, and so that's what made me think that maybe um, you deliberately set them up as cartoonish exaggerations. But, uh, but it's, yeah, it's interesting. I don't know how to resolve well, I, that. I, would, I don't even I would, know what I'm asking I would, you. I would, I, would I, take mild of, I would take mild offense at cartoonish characterizations. I would say that maybe I have exaggerated one more to the extroverted feeling side right, right. and i've exaggerated one more to the introverted thinking side i don't think they're they're yeah cartoons. sorry you probably I, didn't I, like but, the word cartoon being thrown into the conversation but i guess well you know, it, I'm, it, I'm it seems about... a, it seems to superficialize my iconic characters sorry but sorry i know <laughs> we, we 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 you know we have we have a wonderful bantering relationship okay. but they are archetypal and that's a word that Jung came up with. And archetypal means something that just reoccurs through generation, through time, whether it be, you know, the hero, the wise old man, the an what we call the anima figure. We could get into that, whatever. Yeah. So Jack is, is archetypally this kind of character in Miles. And, of course, I skew it to that side. But if people were to go and read the novel, they would say that Jack, he does have thoughtful moments he does have self-reflective moments that he doesn't have in the movie, and Miles isn't always this cranky, dyspeptic, you know, aquarius, bitter guy. He's not yeah. only that; he's actually he can get larger than life too. And of course, yeah. then what you do, then what I thought, at, I mean, again, this is not a formula. I'm just writing. Then you throw wine into the mix, and everything is exaggerated threefold. Okay, I'm I'm beginning to see what's happened here, and that is what you what I think what happens is you can't take a book of the length of Sideways, a long, long book with um, beautiful comedic passages in it. You can't turn that into a what was it a two-hour movie? A two-hour yes. movie? Yeah, yes. Two-hour movie without losing something. So I guess Alexander uh, and and his partner um, who wrote the screenplay, I guess what they did was they probably then what did you say? Emphasize the archetypal traits is that what it happens i mean you, well, you, it, you eliminate it, some of miles um extroversions and you uh and you eliminate some of 
objects, introversions. And well, for, well, first of all, they're taking a novel that could easily be a seven-hour limited series if somebody wanted yeah. to do it because there's that much material in it. Yeah. But it's also going through the filter of Alexander Payne. And let's just talk, because he mostly wrote the screenplay. It's going through his filter. Now, Alexander Payne loves, in fact, you know, I've said this many times, you know, he doesn't like it when I say it, but whatever. When I first met him in person, you know, he congratulated me and everything else. He just read this unpublished uh, novel and he was going to make it into a film. He goes, you know, Rex, you know what I loved about your novel so much? I said, what? And I'm nervous. I'm shaking, you know. Your characters are so fucking pathetic. <laughs> and, of course, it's written in first person the standpoint of Miles. And I felt like, you know, somebody had blown a Karari dart into my chest. You know, I mean, I was <laughs> stunned. Um, and I said, well, you know, just make the movie. But he saw them as pathetic. In fact, yeah. later on, I said something. He said, would you, you know, not write that, you know, in this thing? Because it makes me not look good. But, you know, in all fairness to Alexander, he, if you look at his early films, Citizen Ruth, Election and about Schmidt. Those are the three films he made before Sideways. He had a tendency to stand characters at arm's length and slap them silly. Okay, in Sideways, and I'm going to quote one of my favorite film critics, Peter Rayner of Christian Science Monitor. I think he's is actually maybe retired, and he's going on about Alexander's early work and how he does set these characters up two dimensionally and kind of make he makes fun of them. He's a satirist, you know, and he makes them look pathetic and they do pathetic things. But he said, and this was quoting uh, Peter Rayner, but in Sideways, Alexander Payne traded in his sarcasm for a soul. Okay. Now, what I wish he would have said was, but in Sideways, Alexander Payne traded in Alexander Payne for Rex Pickett. Because, and it would, okay, I know that sounds, you know, self-serving or whatever, but in fact, Alexander honored the fact that I, I'm, I'm going to an emotional place. I'm going, I actually want Miles and Jack to start to come together and even intersect. Jack is never going to be the intellect that Miles is. And Miles is never going to be the life of the party, the larger than life, the catnip to women that Jack is, that Roy was when he went to a party. People just grabbed around. He's a fun guy. He's a fun guy. I'm the guy who might rope you into a conversation about Jean-Luc Godard. And you're going, how do I, how the fuck do I get out of this? You know what I mean? Yeah. But I wanted to bring, but together, the two, Jack has such respect for Miles. He feels for him. He feels for the fact that this book means so much to him. And you, re, it really comes through in the play, Yui. That yeah. feeling, I'm going for that kind of feeling. I'm not trying to slap them around, make them look pathetic. But Payne can't stop from doing that to some extent in the movie. And there's a little yeah. bit of a the doofus in Jack that's not in the book. It's not in Roy Gittens, who it's based on. He's not that guy, and it's not in the play, and it's also not in the musical either. Okay, cool. All right, well, I think we've done a pretty good job, I think, of getting underneath the skin of the two um, characters. Um, maybe talk to us now about uh, the differences, the obvious differences. We've sort of touched on them, but let's repeat some of them. Uh, the obvious differences between the book and the movie, and then the movie and the play, because those three have been reasonably accessible to people around the world, reasonably, particularly um, particularly the book and the movie. Um, and if you've been lucky enough to see the play, you'll see that it's different um, again. So take us through the relationship differences between those three mediums okay well let's first understand that the my novel was adapted by alexander payne and his partner jim taylor but again the writing is mostly alexander payne and you know he 
is has to distill my novel down from what could be a seven hour limited series if you used every if you if you yeah. shot every word it would be seven hours long so it it as he distills it he, it's being filtered through him you know yeah. here's one example of a scene I, I just I can't stand it's when miles goes and buys a porno magazine I've never I I'm not a prude Yui at all but I've yeah. never bought a porno magazine in my life that's miles you know it's making miles look kind of pathetic or whatever you know I'm so there's subtle differences, but they're minor. He makes Miles a school teacher. He's not a school teacher in the novel. So he's making choices, and the choices are being filtered through him. But as I've said, it's 90% faithful to my novel. Under anyone else's um, adaptation, um, you know, because they have the control. I don't have any control. It could be two guys doing jello shots in Cancun. I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, I mean, it, it, and, and you're just going to take your, your check and go with it. So it, it's being filtered, again, through Alexander Payne in the adaptation. So the novel is a little bit, it, 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 it gives you more range in Miles. It gives you more range in Jack. They range over. Alexander kind of narrows the range of the characters, if that makes sense in some ways. Yeah, that ways. does. And that's what okay, we Okay, when we, when, we get, when we get to the play now, the play has to just, be adapted. Just before we get to the play, sorry, uh, Rex. Uh, you, you threw two things out there which do require some further questions. I think most listeners would want me to do okay. this. Sorry. Firstly, what do you think Alex was, uh, Alexander was trying to achieve by getting Miles to buy a porno? I mean, you've already said that you, you're not a prude about it, and you, you know, and that's cool. But, but what do you think the effect was? Um, was it to make him more pathetic? In other words, deserving yeah. of pity or pathos? Yeah, uh, because 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 the next the next cut is you know Jack has gone off. With his lover, so Miles is being left alone, and, and next, and the next cut is Miles is you know wakes up, you know he, he's passed out, and the porno magazine is a, is across his chest, oh, open okay. as if he's you know uh, yeah, masturbated yeah, or something. Yeah, that's yeah. that's not in the book. That's not that's not me or whatever. It, yeah, it's to make him look even more pathetic, more down, more lonely, more despairing. Okay. And and I'm not disagreeing. I see where Alexander's going. The more maybe you feel something for him in that in that yeah, sense. Yeah. I don't think we needed to go there. Anyway, go ahead. Okay, but so I understand now that, and I sort of knew what you were going to say about the porno magazine. But what's the point of the school teacher bit? What's what's that about? Well, Miles in the book is me, an out of work screenwriter who, you know, he's he's got one last. He's got a publishing agent, but he's also a screenwriter. He's exactly who I was at that time. You know, I'd given up screenwriting. I'd made independent feature films. You know, they didn't really set up set in motion a career as a film director or whatever and now i turned to novels and i had a a publishing agent which i was lucky to get so i'm that guy i i miles is transparently me i think alexander wanted to get away from hollywood so he oh, wanted okay. to ground he wanted to ground miles in a job part of, but there's some collateral damage with it so for example and i just got asked this the other day we know that miles takes money from his mother so, you know, and I get asked, that, why does he have to take money from his mother? We don't like him in that moment. Well, in the, in the novel, not that this is a justification for stealing from your mom, Miles can't, he's broke. He can't go on the trip unless he pays his rent. His mother lives in Montecito. She's actually a wealthy woman, and he's an only child. Again, not a rationalization. Alexander makes her middle class and gives Miles a job. Well, that looks like he's stealing money to buy Chevel Blanc. <laughs> know what I mean? Right. Again, it makes him look more pathetic, but I think making him a school teacher, and I, I don't disagree with this with Alexander, is it, it grounded him in a, a somewhat, and no offense to educators or anything, but it grounds him in a low-paying, white-collar 
kind of pedestrian job where this this is your fate in life 35,000 a year teaching the same books over and over and over again the books that you would like to have written and published yeah, yeah. and so okay. that you could live the life of the writer I think right. in and I think that made him a little bit more about you know to use a kind of a fancy word a lumpen proletariat I didn't see him as that miles to me was me I'm dancing on the edge with no fumes and it's the book gets published or I leap into the void. Alexander didn't want that character. He wanted a character who was going to go back to a life of mediocrity. Yeah. I've never well, lived a life of mediocrity, Yui. No. I, I do aspire to, though. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, let's, let's see what we can do for you <laughs> yeah, at some okay. point. Yeah, thank you. Um, now, that's interesting, Rex, because one of my issues in the last 20 years has been the proliferation of shows and movies which are about people involved in shows and movies and i just find that's really really introspection taken to a ridiculous level by hollywood and tv show makers you know but um, but, but but bear in mind and i agree with you yui and of course it's done because a lot of writers are writing what they know and what they yep. know is writing and agents and everything else and i and i'm look i'm no stranger to it but there isn't there isn't anything about Hollywood in the book, hardly at all. There's a few references. No, mind. no. What I mean is, what I mean is, um, Alexander's decision to take him from being a writer and turning him into a school teacher. I applaud that, really, in the yeah. sense of what I just said. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's what I'm saying. Yeah, but yeah. in but in the in the in the novel, if he hadn't made him a school teacher and he's still kind of living on the edge, then he's, um, you know we're only dealing with him trying to still publish a novel which is also in the movie so it doesn't really compromise that but i think it kind of what alexander did that was great is he and i didn't need it in the novel he bookended it you know with yeah. he's a school teacher and he comes back at the end and he's a school teacher yeah you know? yeah no that's cool okay i interrupted you as you were just about to launch into the play so off you go please and please explain um, what you were going to explain in terms of uh, the novel and the play and the character okay. development between the two of them. Well, and, and please interrupt me, you know, if you can. I will. I will. <laughs> okay, okay, good. I'll no, give I'm you just... the finger. What I mean by that is I'll point my finger at you. I just you want our listeners video. to know I'm, I'm, drinking, I'm drinking Bird Rock coffee roasters and it's some of the finest coffee and I, I really, I grind it at a pretty high amount of grams, so I'm getting, I'm pretty caffeinated here. I haven't but seen, the, I haven't seen you take one sip. What? I haven't seen you take one sip. Oh, there we go. There it is. Yeah, there you oh, go. Oh yes, okay. you did take a sip earlier. Yeah, it, it's, it, a, this, it's an unusual bottle. To yeah, this is a coffee is a, in it, really. Yeah, it's a it's a thermos that keeps it at a precise temperature. Oh, perfect. Okay, over to you. Let's talk play. Yep. So the play has to be based on the novel for both um, contractual reasons and creative yeah. reasons. So in other words, I can't use anything in the movie that wasn't in the novel. So I had to go back and read my novel, and I, and I didn't want to do that. And we talked about this when, when we talked yep. about the musical, I think. Yep. And, and I was surprised how much dialogue was in there. I thought, well, my gosh. You know, and of course, a play is all dialogue. It's just all dialogue. Where, you know, a movie, you can have montages where no one speaks for three or four or five minutes or whatever. And so I, that kind of excited me that I could get more into the dialogue. Also, I can expand on things. One of the things I wanted to expand on is the women characters. So people don't know this, but we've talked about it before. Virginia Matson, who plays Maya, Miles's quasi-love interest here, only has 12 screen minutes in the movie. And she would have only had nine except for her famous wine speech. We've had that discussion before that almost yeah. never made it into the movie. 
But in the play, she has to have more because you can't get a terrific actress. And we got this woman, Julia McIlvain, who's just still one of the best Mayas I've ever seen in this little 50-seat theater, if we don't give her more to do. And especially for Tara, whose name got changed to Stephanie in the movie, but we'll talk about that in another podcast. Yeah, and actually, let, let's talk about that. Um, um, we are going to do a whole episode on Maya and Terra. Yes. And, um, and, and how um, they interacted and also how they interact with Miles and Jack. So for those of you wondering, yeah, we will get onto Maya and Terra uh, at some point. Yeah. Well, the, the, so I needed to expand the women characters just so, uh, for one reason, just so I could get better actors. But number two is because I wanted, I wanted to explore those characters even more in the play. I didn't, I mean, again, 12 minutes in the movie, that's only one-tenth of the movie. And, and Tara... Sandra O's oh character, she's only in the movie for seven minutes. She is, I mean, virtually a cipher, if, except for one scene where she bashes Jack's face in with a motorcycle helmet. She's a virtual cipher in that entire movie. So I wanted their characters to be bigger. And so a great example in the movie when Miles lets slip that Jack is, oops, getting married this week. They're having a picnic, and then you cut to them in the car, and Maya says something for 20 seconds. You know, I just got out of a relationship that, you know, was full of deceit and whatever, and I, you know, what, and she, you never see her again. Oh no, in the play, Yui, it is the top of act two, and Miles and Maya are in bed, and they have drunk expensive burgundies, and now he feels tremendous you know, remorse and, you know, he's awakened from the, you know, you know, he's, he's hung over and everything else. And he, you know, he tell at top of act two, he confesses. It is a powerfully emotional scene and she rips into him and we have a great song. I think you should, from the musical, you're not the one. I think maybe you should play a clip from it oh, right okay. now. All right. Well, just hang on a second. Um, yep. And so listeners, there's a bonus track coming up. We're going to play you about a minute's worth of you're not the one. Can't forget the lies you've spun Thought you were my only one So damn sad you can't be true I always believed in you You really know how to hurt someone Had your fun and Okay, well, that was uh, you're not the one. We hope you enjoyed and, and that. And I would and I would like the list. I would like the, our listeners who yeah. are you know um, you, you know really uh, well versed in the movie and know the movie. Remember, they're sitting and having a little picnic, and he's like, "Oh yeah, well, we have a rehearsal dinner." What do you mean rehearsal? And then they cut to another scene, and you can do that in movies. Now, after you've heard this song, think how much more powerful that scene is. You know, in in, in terms yeah. of, I mean, this um, this confession of his is. 
you know, is, is, is pretty devastating because now she's going to have to tell her friend. Miles realizes eventually it's going to ricochet back to him and, and Jack and everything else, and it yep. complicates things. So it, you know, and, and she, I don't want to give away the ending, but the ending. Well, don't give uh, away the ending. Actually, what I need you to do, Rex, sorry, mate, is to steer back to Miles and Jack in the play. In the so, play. And you've given, us a little, you've given us a lot just then in terms of Miles and Maya. Um, okay. Can we just go back to Miles and Jack because we will do an episode where we introduce okay. the two ladies into it and see what happens. You know, absolutely. So, yeah. Well, because the novel is so dialogue-driven in a way, you, you're able. I the banter between Jack and Miles in the play is so much more expressive. It, it's there's something. It's deeper. It's it's. It's more demonstrative. I guess one of my favorite scenes in the play is after Miles has learned that his novel is not going to get published, he drinks from the spit bucket, and this is from the, from the novel. They go to the beach, and Miles tries to drown himself, and Jack drags him in from the ocean. That's right. You know, and yeah. it is an unbelievable... It's actually a funny scene in some ways, and Jack really cares about him. His friend's out in the ocean. What do you... You know, whatever. But in the movie, it's just the two of them sitting on a bench. Now, I will admit, in all fairness to Alexander, that would have been a little melodramatic for the movie, maybe, and maybe yeah. putting them on a bench is 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 more kind of, um, I don't know, germane to the grammar of movie and screenplay, whatever. So I, I'll, I'll cut him some slack there. But in the play, it's a very powerful moment. And what you see is you see Jack. I don't see um, Jack's understanding of Miles in the movie, but in the book and in the play, you definitely see his under... He may not have seen all 50 of Jean-Luc Godard's films. He may not have read the collected works of Carl Jung, but he knows who Carl Jung is. He knows who Jean-Luc Godard is. He actually understands, you know, what Miles is wrestling with. Because remember, Jack is also a Hollywood figure of something. You know, he's an out-of-work actor. He knows the game. He knows it's a lot of hopes and dreams and you know, he, he, he understands his frustration. He understands his sense of failure. He understands that he's... I mean, look, Jack himself is basically throwing in the towel and marrying a wealthy woman, saying, yeah. you know, I need a backup. Well, his buddy Miles doesn't have a backup. And I think what makes... It, so at the very ending, so the ending in the movie, they're at the wedding, and I'm not going to give away the big, beautiful ending, but the ending at the movie... Jack winks at Miles, but in the play, they have about a three, four minute conversation where it's, and it's very poignant where they really, they realize it's, you know, they're not probably not going to see each other. It's going to be very, yeah. very different. And you, you, yeah. I think you feel more for that relationship. And again, this is not, not to, you know, it, this is not to denigrate. I love the movie. Don't get me wrong, but the movie has compromises. In the play, we feel more. We, Jack has more depth in the play, and Miles, yeah, in I, his I despair, agree. in his despair, is actually funnier when it's done right with the right actors. By the way, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I agree. I, I um, I love the movie, and there's no but coming. I love the movie. It was the movie that opened up the whole world of Sideways for me. I have to say though, in 2019, when I saw the play in Wellington, I was mesmerized for a longer period of time. Um, and just got right into it and saw this wonderful, uh, saw the four characters actually in, in a completely different light. So it's amazing how how that play, in my opinion... Well, let me, um, let me just add one quick little parenthetical here. 
You know, movies, of course, are more of a visual medium. Yes, there can be a dialogue, but plays are dialogue-driven. So a lot of the comedy in the movie comes from visual things that might be out of a, for instance, a Buster Keen film, like when they run the car into the tree, and then when the car darts away or whatever. Yes, that's in the book, but it becomes the funny moment. But in the play, the humor, Yui, and I've seen it so many times, and the laughter is way more, and I've been in the theater with 500, 1,000 people, seeing the film too you know yeah. there's more laughter in the play but it comes from dialogue from yeah. the, from the back and forth and that's the, and i think it's it's not dissing alexander it's just the difference no, no, of no, the medium it's, it's the, the difference point. of the medium different yeah. medium yeah yeah. Right, yeah i happen to like theater more than movies because i like the imperfection of theater i've gone to plays many many plays over the years and seen people corpse or the odd error or or, you know, or something a bit different, and um, and I like that. I like the fact it's not. Oh, perfect. I mean, whereas, you know, you're, you know, it's, movies, first, it's, a, it's the first play I ever did, and yeah. it was supposed to run 15 performances at a 50 seat theater, the Ruskin Group Theater, and it ran a hundred performances. I was there every night. Again, I only saw it like 10 times, but I was there every night to hear the laughter. When a play works, it is more electrifying yeah. Yeah. than a movie. And bear in mind that movie that you so love and everything else, and there people have seen Sideways 50, 100 times. It's still, your brain may be different, but it's the same movie. You know what yeah, I mean? For everyone, that's correct, yeah. Hey, hey, Rex, I was thinking um, we might wind this up. Is there anything else you want to say about the play? We're coming up to 38 minutes, even before I add the prologue and the um, and the end log. Um, is there anything else you want to say about Miles and Jack? Uh, I'll, and if there is, can we hold it over maybe till when we talk about Maya and Tara and we throw them into the mix? Do you think yeah, absolutely. we've covered off yeah. everything we want to cover? Yeah, I, th- I think we've right. talked a lot about them. Okay, in that case, then, thank you very much, Rex. Thanks for your time, and uh, we'll catch up soon. Yeah, this has been a good one. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Sideways, The Life of Wine. Both Rex and I hope you enjoyed it. We hope you enjoyed it so much that you'll share this with your friends and go online and rate this podcast. If you have a question for Rex related to the movie, the books, his latest book, anything to do with wine, actually, please drop us a line to wine at 158.co.nz that's wine at 158.co.nz they want to drink merlot we're drinking merlot no if anyone orders merlot i'm leaving i am not drinking any fucking merlot no fucking merlot no fucking merlot no matter how low we go no fucking merlot This podcast is a 158 production.